Here's a clap. Enjoy. Welcome, this is TGE, the podcast, episode 41. Is it 41? Did I get this right? Yes. Episode 41. Today we're going to be talking about a film that probably not everybody has seen. But it's something, it's one of those films that I really, really enjoyed and watching. It's end of the tour. And I'm here with my friend Tyler. Tyler, how are you? Good, Sven. You're a little confused about what episode because we actually recorded a different one ahead of this, a very special episode, which we'll talk about in a second. But first, we want to thank everyone for listening. We want to thank everyone for subscribing. We want to thank everyone for telling your friends. We really appreciate how it's growing, the feedback we're getting, the comments that everyone is making, and how we're getting led to cool films and cool discoveries and kind of building this community and adding to the understanding of the art form and craft of editing nice yeah we already recorded an episode yesterday on sunday today's monday for us and that was mm -hmm. with roger nygaard from the editor from veep who listened to one of our episodes and then kindly sent us an email and said he'd love to talk to us and we ended up talking about all kinds of things he's currently working on curb your enthusiasm he's a documentary filmmaker and it's an, I think it's a really cool episode in terms of the takeaway. A lot of things that I learned during that conversation. How about you, Tyler? Yeah, it was, it was really cool even to just hear his take on some common tropes and stuff like that was really cool. It helped solidify it more. And he has a, a lot of really un unique perspective and approaches to editing comedy and his approach and working on various different styles of improv and stuff like that is very cool to hear about. So we look forward to sharing that with you. And also a little bonus that no one, <laughs> no one will, will be able to hear on the podcast is that Sven, I guess for some reason you were a little bit under an impression that we were being called out for analyzing it wrong or something like that. Was, <laughs> well, I was just that, that true I, I was just taking out an insurance policy. That's what I did, just in case. But uh, uh, we'll have to find out whether that was necessary or not. Well, I thought, yeah, you'll find out whether we read it wrong. But I will say one thing that was speculated that was inaccurate in, in our review. But the other thing that is fun to point out about this is the scene we actually chose is a scene that he has shown in a class that he teaches on editing and actually taken apart and analyzed and shown the different coverage and stuff they work with so it was really cool that it was a scene he'd already talked about so you get a really thorough understanding of it which is which is something to look forward to yeah it is amazing that uh, now we're at a point in this podcast where editors are actually listening and then or maybe it gets pointed out to them hey somebody is making a podcast about your episode better check it out and then for them to reach out we definitely want to invite everyone that is listening to reach out to us and we're always happy to take this podcast in a new direction just based on the feedback that we're getting yeah and i can't think that are there any scenes we've like really trashed i mean there's only one that we <laughs> had a problem with and it's still our least listened to episode i'm gonna quit calling attention to it because even though i mention it more than any other episode <laughs> it's still the lowest listened to one so i don't want it to to spike because I tell people which. But also, yeah, interesting thing in the interview was that I only realized this today was through most of it, he was, the way you had the light set up in your studio, he had like a giant panel light behind his head, <laughs> even though we weren't filming. Yeah. So it was like the silhouette the entire time that I was watching it. Oh yeah, from your perspective. yeah, I just wanted to create a mood somehow. I just wanted to make it look a little warm and cozy. 
Get him comfortable. <laughs> it worked. It was a very backlit film. And if we were cinematography guys, we could tell you whose style that is. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, how was your week? Well, I just saw you yesterday. <laughs> I, I was trying to segue. I know the segue. So something, because we try to talk about a little something uh, relating to careers or craft at the beginning of, of each episode. And I thought it'd be interesting to talk about the freelance lifestyle. Because I had a weird situation where I've been, and this happens all the time, so I thought it'd be fun to discuss. I've been incredibly freakishly busy and am until mid-ish June and got offered without looking for them or anything two jobs this weekend right at the start of the weekend mm-hmm. starting around the same time and it's like oh wow that that lines up for something I didn't even look for or go after and then you know it was kind of a thought that was cool and though didn't need them wasn't expecting them was looking forward to some time off but it's always great that there's work that pops up for those breaks and then you know within 24 hours both were gone completely Mm -hmm. and I thought it was funny how those things happen and we talked about it a little bit but just in terms of that lifestyle and how you set your expectations and then suddenly it's like your expectations get raised in a way you weren't even looking for and then that thing's gone and it's like well now I'm a little bit bummed out about something that never, you know, was even re- real yeah, 24 it, hours ago. It was real for a moment and then it went away, which is um, the fate of the freelancer. <laughs> it is a little bit tricky, but um, when you when you are sort of pursuing a career as a freelance editor, you try to put yourself in a position where hopefully you'll get an offer maybe every two weeks of something so that if something comes to an end and you need to keep working, that you hopefully are in a position where you can jump onto a new project relatively fast. So I sometimes get like emails from assistant editors or people that are still early in their career where they're reaching out to me at a point where it's almost too late, where they're like, I'm available right now and I need to make money tomorrow so that I can pay my rent. And that's a very scary situation to be in as a freelancer. So with a little experience and maneuvering the industry, hopefully you can be in a position where you where you are always good for a few months and you can really breathe a little easier as jobs come in and, and you get opportunities. Yeah, we talked about the desperation window, yeah. at what point you begin really worrying. And you were saying you have like a six-month window of... of when it's like, uh oh, if there's no work between now and six months, I'm I'm screwed and you get desperate and maybe start doing stuff you wouldn't normally do. Yeah. And I don't know how many times you've hit that buffer in the last several years, but uh yeah, mine's like a three month window yeah. where not you know, I only get really worried and I and I mean again, it's been like a really long time since we've had to worry about anything like that but i yeah. think that's about my number when it's three months out is like oh god we really we really need something yeah not recently but i've been even just maybe like four or five years ago i've reached points where i'm like okay now i need to just really lower my bar and just take anything so that i can make rent i've been there and i've been there many times but Hopefully and luckily it's always been like just a a glimpse and then you sort of stumble into a new project and you can like reassess your strategy and build up more of a emergency fund so that you don't get into that feeling again because that is really stressful and a lot of people there are that's where their career sort of almost breaks when they when they never can get ahead and um, yeah i am i understand it's really tough um but there are some some things that you can do and just be aware that y- you need to think ahead so speaking of uh 
this is a little bit of a different week too. I don't know what I, I just said speaking of, and there's no segue at all. <laughs> but this is a movie which is rare because usually I feel like you haven't seen a lot of this stuff we look at. Well, is that fair? Is that a fair assessment? No, that's not fair. I think I'd say like every once in a while, like if you throw Game of Thrones at me or Avengers, yes, okay, I haven't seen it, but there's there's been a few movies where you you've had to watch them for the show. To be fair, that is true, and I I mean I have to say unless it's like a movie like The End of the Tour, which I've seen many many times, I try to rewatch them as well if it's been a long time. Yeah, and then because my my batting average, and I think this might be maybe because my own manipulation or something also, but my batting average I think is zero. There's nothing I haven't seen that we've looked at. Okay, but Ooh. now we're stepping into territory. And again, you're like, hey, this is one of my favorite movies. I love to talk about it. And it's like, oh, I haven't seen it. Can't do it. What's it, What's your relationship with David Foster Wallace? Is that something that you came across in college, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I know who David Foster Wallace is. Uh, Infinite Jest and all that all that great stuff. But no, it was funny because it seemed like you weren't a fan. Like, have you read David Foster Wallace? I had, No, I didn't know anything about it. I read the book afterwards, after I saw the movie the first time. Or I should say, I tried to read it. Uh, I spent about a good three weeks... And it, I got into like the first 200 pages and then I moved over to the, um, what is it called? Like a study guide or like a cliff note version of the book where they explain what it means. So I was fascinated with the whole thing and I, I genuinely wanted to read the book, but it's so dense and I, I definitely get the feeling of it. And it's a really interesting book in terms of like mental wellness and suicide and all these sort of things that young people go through that have like that are struggling um but I, which book um infinite jest but it right. is it, it it's so cryptic to me maybe it's because english is my second language that i had a really tough time keeping up well it's written in like a very unorthodox style and i think if we wanted our our resident david foster wallace expert we'd have to get kurda who provides our music on because he's a huge fan okay. and definitely had a bandana bandana phase during his time <laughs> in college. Uh, completely obsessed. I don't know if he's seen End of the Tour. I don't know. I guess, yeah, it's just that thing where, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. For some reason with authors, I'm not, I guess maybe with the exception of like Fear and Loathing, I'm not, I don't know. And I don't know if you necessarily, if this movie really captures the David Foster Wallace experience. I think it might be just a thing on its own, but I think it works. Like it's speaking to me, this film. It's it's one of the few films that I actually bought as opposed to just rented so that I get the opportunity to rewatch it uh, every now and then when Whoa. I'm like in the mood. So what is it that, that speaks to you about this? It's I, I just love this feeling. This There's some, I don't know, like they're going out of town to go to a book reading. And the way that mm -hmm. the story unfolds, it's it's just very mellow, melancholic, is that the word? Like off the time mm -hmm. that I grew up as well, like in the 90s. And it just, I don't know, I just like, like when I'm a little down, I just want to like sink into a couch and just like wrap myself into a blanket and watch a movie by myself. That's the kind of movie that I enjoy watching. Well, it's also interesting because it's, I think it's a cool four things that are you know based based on fact it's one where one it's very contained mm -hmm. so you get like a real sense of the character i imagine without having seen it and also the sources are pretty strong because you have you know a first-hand source that's 
David Lipinski, who's, you know, a journalist noting all this stuff for the book. So it kind of lends a little more credibility to it than, say, the, the crossing of the Potomac or something like that. So I think it, it provides, like, great material to, to make a movie like this. So that's always that always adds something cool to it. Yep. Well, maybe it's a good time to set up the movie. The End of the Tour is a 2015 American drama film about writer David Foster Wallace. The film stars Jason Siegel and Jesse Eisenberg was written by Donald Margulies and was directed by James Ponsold. Based on David Lipsky's best-selling memoir, Although, of course, you end up becoming yourself. It was released on July 31, 2015 by A24 Films. The film is the first film depiction of Wallace, whom Los Angeles Times calls one of the most influential and innovative writers of the last 20 years. And mm -hmm. just a little bit about the plot. Writer David Lipsky is dismayed to hear about the suicide of novelist David Foster Wallace in 2008. He had interviewed the author over a period of days 12 years earlier following the publication of Wallace's novel Infinite Jest, which received critical praise and became an international bestseller, a touchstone for numerous readers. Um, so this is kind of capturing, the film is capturing that time um, and I just love that relationship between Jesse Eisenberg and Jason Siegel. I think they're really just having an amazing chemistry in that film. I also want to point out that the editor of that film is Darren Navarro. That's our thing now. We're going <laughs> to always make a point of that. And he is, is kind I mean, this is an indie movie. So I looked a little bit there. He's an assistant editor on some bigger things. Then after the end of the two, I feel like he became more of a working editor. I mean, he has plenty of credits prior to that, but nothing that I really recognized. Afterwards, I'm seeing Ballers, the TV show. I love Dick, Mo Mozart in the Jungle. So doing some of the top TV shows now oh. possibly some movies that i don't quite recognize so i feel like he's probably staying in the indie world then is making most of his money in the tv world gotcha and i i just wanted to read the comments because you really curated this clip this was a clip that you really wanted to do and couldn't find so yes this is not the clip that i actually found i wanted to show a clip that i actually taught in class a couple of times which is earlier in the film and the exercise that I was giving the students is to take out all the breath in the scene and then figure out how mm. the uh, drama changes. And it was a scene, it's the first time when uh, David Lipsky and David Foster Wallace meet in his house and Lipsky is like walking around and sort of trying to get the lay of the land. And by taking out all the breath, suddenly that scene turned from being somewhat like friendly and curious into a very aggressive scene. So it was an interesting experiment for students to figure out how important it is to include breath when you're telling a story. Yeah, which is ironic because Roger Nygaard was saying something involving breath about editing comedy that might be slightly different. Yeah, yeah. they completely remove breath. Now I just want to read the comments on this. Uh, YouTube video because I think they're great because it was published in 2015 okay. um, the comments are wow rename this thanks for uploading but that title hurts and then I did didn't realize I never titled it originally and then uh, what is this from those are all the comments uh, okay. we don't usually <laughs> the comments so this scene I should tell you is in the earlier part of the second act so they went to this somewhere there up in Minneapolis I think And he's giving his final book reading, David Foster Wallace. 
And before before they go, they meet up with these two women, and one of them is his kind of old flame from college that he's kept a relationship, and the other one is a local critic. And so they all tag along, and they're having this kind of interesting night where they sort of get to know each other. They go back to the apartment of Betsy, I believe, and hang out. And David Foster Wallace in this movie is just constantly craving TV. He's watching all kinds of cult TV shows or anything like MASH or whatever he can get his hands on because he doesn't have a TV at home because it's too. he has this addictive nature to him. Whenever he's on the road in a hotel room or so, he'll, he's just glued in front of the TV and then probably eating trash food all the time. <laughs> so that's the setup of the scene. I thought this is a great scene to take a look at because it doesn't really matter whether you've seen the film or not. Even though it's a small scene, there's a lot of things that are accomplished here that work with a lot of like confrontational situations that you might have in a movie. And that's where I'll leave it. Cool. I'll walk you through the scene. Tyler, did you watch the scene yet? Or you're going to do a blind Yeah, taste I watched it. Test? I watched it. I watched okay, it. Okay, <laughs> nice. So the way that we do it is usually we include a link of the video that is publicly available. It'll be in the description of this podcast. I just remember there's a... <laughs> At the start of this podcast, one of the conceits was it would be scenes you'd never seen just to go back in time and you would watch them live on the show and just give your reaction and how how quickly that didn't work after a few episodes <laughs> yeah i just remember <laughs> and now we put all this time and care into it this is funny sorry i just i just remember that oh no worries at all and what we'll do is we'll count it down and if you are in a position to watch the scene with us you're more than welcome to do so if you're not that's fine too we'll just watch it through and we'll let it play and describe as much as we can what's going on and then we'll go back and talk about specifics sounds good very cool so we're in this apartment david foster wallace jason siegel is watching uh, with the two girls and jesse is about to walk into the kitchen um, because he wants to grab something to drink and noteworthy she offers the host is offering him a beer and he declines he's going for the soda which is important for the button at the end of the scene so here we go mm -hmm. in three two one beer in the fridge soda is fine thank you so we're tracking jesse as he's walking into the kitchen pretty simple recipe he was like very cool and popular then we cut back to them on the couch and one of the girls betsy pulls out a book she's clearly trying to hide this from david foster wallace hey and she walks into the kitchen ah uh, i brought you something hey you brought me something yeah what is this so these are over the shoulders between the two this is the review where you have your poem in it that's amazing Somewhere in there hey look what's on next algiers starring hedy lamar have you seen that and you're cutting um, no. It's one of the greats, and Hedy Lamar is fascinating. To a POV shot through the doorway of David Foster Wallace and the other girl, and he noticed them talking in the kitchen, and he gets a little irritated. Hey, I was wondering, um, when I get back to New York, if I have any questions about uh, what Dave was like in grad school or something, can I, can I email you? Sure. It's okay with you. She's a little wider than he is in these over-the-shoulder, so we can see the background. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Even oh, though it's soft focus. Thank you. She grabs a post-it note and writes down her email. On your book. And back to David Foster Wallace. He's noticing this. He's looking at them. Thank you so can much. Can you read that? I can see that it is letters, but uh, no, I'll be fine. <laughs> Thank you so much. Sure. So she walks out. He stays in the kitchen. 
we pan down to the book. He's like reviewing it. Yeah. Okay. And when we come back up, Wallace is walking into the kitchen. We have a profile confrontational shot. What are you doing? What? It's very interesting blocking here. I saw you hitting on Betsy. Mm -hmm. Hitting on. Kind of changing the screen was, direction a I little. I was talking to her. David, I saw you. You got her to give you her address? Like, <laughs> no, 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 no. I got her to give me her email address in case oh. I had questions about the piece that I am writing about really? you. Really? Okay. Yeah, really. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, so we're staying in this profile too, Sean. I don't want her talking to you. I won't contact look, her. Look, I, I told you that Betsy and I dated during grad school. The least, look at me, the least you could, no, you're not. And now we're cutting to close. The least you could do is show me the respect of not. Over the shoulders between the two. Like, this is where it's most intense. Okay, that was not my intention. Mm -hmm, it's much tighter. And why would I want to get involved with somebody who lives in St. Paul? I don't know. You're already involved with somebody who lives in Los Angeles. Boom. Dave Foster Wallace just hit him hard. Okay. Are you okay? Yeah, everything's fine. Thank you. Okay. Just stay away from her, okay? We're still in these tight over-the-shoulders. Be a good guy. And then he walks off. Reaction on lips clean. What I miss? Everything. Everything. Nothing. That seems like a gross exaggeration. <laughs> <laughs> so Lipsky goes through the fridge. And he pulls out a beer. And he's completely deflated as he's taking a sip. Cool. So, simple scene, but very nicely blocked and edited in a way that you're really working towards that conflict. Yeah, and it's also an example, of, you know, you're working with real events, but it does everything you want a scene to do. It ends in a totally different place than it begins. There's a big turn inside of it. You think it's one thing, but then it ends up being about the two guys. And yet you're kind of setting up another thing with this relationship between those two and it has triangulation. That's cool. Yeah, it's like finding a really good way to kind of frame up the real story in a scene that's very powerful and, and gets a good emotional experience across. Yeah, and I would imagine that um, in a lot of movies, if you are an editor and working on on any kind of TV show or independent dramas or so, you'll have these type of scenes where you're building towards like a scene-related conflict. And it's nice how this is like a really a master class of like starting kind of wider, setting up the things. And then as we're working towards the climax of the scene, you're getting tighter and tighter and it gets more and more uncomfortable. And saving, you know, you could put the emphasis on establishing the intimacy with the tighter stuff on uh, Eisenberg and the author he's talking to. But instead, well, I guess it ends up being on the other author david foster wallace and him yeah later in the scene yeah so i talked about the beer at the front so it's it's a nice little thing that you don't notice maybe right away but he he sort of proclaims that he's a soda is fine for him and then at the end of the scene the end result is that he grabs a <laughs> beer and downs it because he's like completely put on the spot and feels embarrassed that reference where he said well you have somebody in in los angeles as well I think it's something that he, if I remember correctly, David Lipsky revealed that, that he sort of 
had like a almost um, affair with somebody in LA while he's like in the process of being married or getting married. Hmm. So now he throws that David Foster Wallace throws that back into his face and sort of proves to him. David Lipsky, who clearly has some flaws in this in his character, at least that's what the movie is telling us in the fact that he's jealous, that he's uh, not happy with his life. He he wants to be David Foster Wallace. He's also a writer himself. He's completely not successful. Well, David Foster Wallace has written this amazing piece and he, he knows it. Like he read it, he was super critical at the beginning, Lipsky, and then he read it and he was like, oh my God, this is insane, this is so good. Uh, how did this guy hmm. that is like a college teacher write something like this? <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> so there's this, this whole rivalry between them. Interesting scene in a and by the way, plot. Yeah. Fun fact, one of one of David Foster Wallace's students briefly was a young Paul Thomas Anderson when he was dabbling with college and deciding he didn't like it. Ooh, cool. Was in a class with pre infinite jest David Foster Wallace, I believe. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I wanna point out that in that first part of the scene when Betsy walks up to him and we're intercutting between them. First of all, they are all over the shoulders when we're in these sort of medium close-ups, sort of means that people are connected in a way. Sometimes that's a positive connection, sometimes it's not. Mm -hmm. And I think it's intentionally intentional that her framing is wider so that we always see in the background the door frame and through it, even if it's blurred out or soft focus, we see... Uh, David Foster Wallace hovering there and just like taking note of right. what's going on. Which can always be a little dangerous in editing when you have that going on, even just with extras. So yeah. it's, it's a tough thing to balance, but I, I'm sure Siegel knows how to behave. And they probably shot a tighter on her as well to match it. And they just chose mm -hmm. not to use it. Today, nowadays with visual effects, it's so insane. True. You know, for all we know that, that that's all composite. You know what I mean? Just composited different versions of his take in it. Could be that both were the same and they just went tighter on, on Eisenberg. It's the other thing I want to point out is a really interesting blocking that I only noticed when I looked at it a couple of times, which is like I was trying to figure out how did they pull off this profile shot? They're basically against the wall and the camera seems to be inside of the wall. But then I realized, looking back, there's actually a doorway that so they blocked around the whole scene and probably moved the fridge in a way that they have this opportunity to just back off to get this profile shot at um, around 140, mm -hmm. 141. Seven. Um, yeah. Maybe it's some, I, I mean, it looks like this is a real location as opposed to a set. I could be wrong. But they sort of figured out in the blocking, okay, why don't we make use of this doorway so that the camera can get out of the way and we can get this amazing profile shot uh, between the two. Or they built a set that way. Mm -hmm. So they included a doorway so they can pull the shot off. Otherwise, they would have had to cheat it. We've often done in student films where we just moved the fridge and everything further into the room and made it look like it's mm -hmm. still against the wall, but it's not. But yeah, this yeah, is all kinds of all kinds of films. Yeah, cheating cheating is a regular part of it with blocking and everything, and that also goes to show you, like if you look at, we have a similar thing 
although the screen it's also a good example of like changing the screen direction between the two scenes although they're in kind of the same location yeah and just kind of resetting it up with the new new master being the two shot of what's going on but if you look at the way that they choose to frame the tight shot of eisenberg at 212 right where you just see this piece of shoulder yeah of david foster wallace kind of lurking in a much more imposing way is very different than it's done at 44 yeah. right where we see the woman he's talking to that you know it's much more congenial so it's just a very subtle way to kind of show one that's ominous and one that's just very in a very subconscious way it's a yeah. cool effective that's uh, a technique great observation because it really feels like he's his back is against the wall yeah, at 212 mm -hmm. he's like really just he can't move any further back because he's just jammed into the fridge and because of doing this tighter long lens shot it just feels really really compressed yeah and but also the piece of david foster wallace's body that's making the frame dirty yeah. is, is very different than yeah. the piece of the woman's and he he's a different feel it's much bigger figure than jesse eisenberg yeah that's sort of what i have here um maybe the the one thing to point out is also these these shots through the doorways to get that relationship between the people sitting on the couch and mm -hmm. uh, the stuff that's going on in the kitchen it always feels a little like a pov to me um it's handheld mm -hmm. and you see sort of the frame the door frame in there to create that extra layer and then also a, a yeah. Right, and the thing that I like is the shot at 305 is an example of a shot that maybe it serves the purpose of David Fonter Wallace's POV or something like that, but it's also a shot that you have where you can cover the entirety of both of the scenes, him with the woman as well as him with Wallace. You know, so you just run that whole thing, and then it ends up just having that little bit that it serves at the end, which is kind of like another another reset for the scene, which is cool. Yeah, and 305 is a unique shot. Like, it hasn't been used in the scene before. Right. And it sort of really puts a button on the scene finishes it off yeah and it, it could have in it you know it could have started it it could have mm -hmm. so yeah it's just kind of cool to think about the choreography of such a tight thing in such a tight space and yet how there's so much scope to it just because yeah. of the angles that were chosen and then played with appropriately in the editing so they feel like you're through the, the other thing as it pertains to editing like you just said for the end it feels like you're constantly discovering new ways to look at this through the whole thing yeah which you could easily not have happen with a little less discipline yeah and then maybe the final thing is everything is handheld in here so it does feel it has a little bit of a documentary feel to it and an indie feel mm -hmm. to it it seems like this is a scene that could be shot in half a day yeah it definitely feels like it's not like they spend a lot of time on it and that's probably how they did the entire movie they kind of just kept it really simple yeah like ch chilling at the grubby little party with the grubby little camera work mm -hmm. <laughs> I know a dp that shoots like this all the time <laughs> <coughs> and does it yeah. very well and you have his poster <laughs> so that's all i got for this definitely recommend seeing the movie if you haven't it's probably not for everybody but for some i think this is going to be a really special experience i think i mean just the fact i haven't seen it doesn't mean that <laughs> it's not gonna appeal to everybody totally oh did i mention it was uh, at sundance 2015 Ooh. i just see that and what about a24 i mean that's an interesting distribution company right it, they, they seem to just get it right all the time yeah, especially yeah, especially that year 
they just had a lot of winners and they always seem to have their take on you know the stuff that i don't know at some point in the 90s and you know it was like the you know the indie films that would be playing super mainstream yeah they kind of have the the market on which is cool for sure all right well that's all we got for you today i was going to point out yeah. since we're done that you have a little bit of a cold which we should have prefaced with which is funny because when we met roger he said he does fist pumps <laughs> And he's been getting less, instead of handshakes, and he's been getting less colds ever since he made that decision years and years ago when he met Bernie Mac, who greeted him the same way. Yeah. We were like, oh, come on, we don't have colds. Like, it's fine. And then what do you know, Sven? The very next morning. I'm going to say riddled, he, he gave it to with me. A cold. So. Oh, he bumped it to you. Wow. Yeah, he bumped it to me. I think I would have been fine <laughs> if we shook hands. <laughs> I think. Because yeah. someone else put it on his fist. I, I see what you're saying. Okay, well, very cool. If you have any thoughts on this scene, any thoughts on this film, please let us know. Where do they let us know, Sven? Um, I'm going to go with thisguyedits.com slash comment. Nice. And if you enjoy what you're hearing, please tell a friend. Subscribe to the podcast so that you can tune in next week and hear Roger Nygaard. It's a really cool interview, so you can look forward to that. And there will be more like it in the future. Yeah, hopefully. We would like to thank Curta for the music, and as Sven always says, happy editing. My life is a cheap joke, a dumb rap trope Complex in rising circles of uninspired art smoke Historical, the parenthetical side No, we awoke inside a city that needs a drug to be provoked Like my life